0: The following podcast is brought to you by Open G Records.
1: These poor people have been bullshitted by the system, bullshitted by the system, bullshitted by the system. Opening. Oh
0: I'm dropping bombs tonight Oh I'm dropping bombs tonight Do anything I wanted
1: Oh I'm dropping bombs tonight Oh I'm dropping bombs
2: All right what's up OpenG listeners um you're listening to episode 2 of Open Season our new weekly uh weekly podcast series uh quick uh housekeeping We're going to switch these to Monday nights, uh, 7.30, so for those of you that listened to our last broadcast where we said they were going to be on Fridays, um, we are switching that up so that hopefully more of you will be able to join us here live on the internet and wherever else you might be listening. Uh, So I'm here with Chris again. What's up? And uh, we're going to dive right in. Um, Something that happened within the last few weeks. Um, it's not terribly often that a, uh, classical music sort of event gets featured, uh, prominently in your CNNs and your Huffington Posts, uh, but this did, and what happened was, uh, there was a demonstration at a St. Louis symphony concert, um, on October 4th, it was a Saturday, um, and a number of protesters bought tickets and they essentially flash mobbed, uh, this performance of Brahms Requiem, right? Brahms, yeah, yeah. So they they sang a, a tribute to to Mike Brown and then uh, left shouting Black Lives Matter. Um, now this hits home particularly for us because Chris, your best friend Scott Andrews, uh, and one of our artists is principal clarinet in that symphony. So um, Chris spoke earlier over the phone with Scott, and we're gonna play a little bit of that interview for you now.
0: Yeah, we're going to see if this works out over the live stream. If you're uh, watching on the stream, this is uh, the interview I conducted earlier with Scott Andrews. Okay, so I want to welcome to the podcast right now my friend, Open G artist and principal clarinetist of the St. Louis Symphony, Scott Andrews. Scott, thanks for coming on the phone today. Oh yeah, I'm glad to be here. So um, we're talking today on the podcast about the artist's role uh, in society and sometimes uh, the artist as uh, as an activist. So uh, it's kind of interesting that in the St. Louis area, and the Ferguson area, this stuff has been going down recently, and there was a protest recently at the St. Louis Symphony. Were you on stage during that protest? I was. And that was during was. the Brahms Requiem, right? It was actually just prior
1: to the Brahms Requiem. Um, yeah, it, it, we
0: had
1: we had all come out on stage. We had tuned. Um, the the conductor came out. The audience applauded. He turned to kind of you know compose himself and get ready. Starts in a you know with these somber tones and and as he was standing there on the podium facing the orchestra, someone started singing in the audience. Um, it was very kind of a Strange experience. At first, you just you, you think, oh no, you know you've got from some, uh, some person who's so so they're already thinking about the piece and they're, they begin to sing and then you start thinking, oh no,
0: and we've got someone who's maybe a little bit off out there who doesn't realize what's happening. Right, and, like a, like an and, old person's having a problem or something like that.
1: Right, someone's having a problem, and and um, but you're not really thinking too much about it. You don't. No one reacts right away. The conductor's still standing facing the audience, and then someone else joins in the singing, and then someone else, and very quickly you realize you're dealing with.
0: Essentially, a flash mob, right? A happening. Uh, yeah, and then um, and so then the conductor turns around just to look out of the audience and see what's going on. And it, and it came. There were. Is this your regular uh, the regular conductor for the symphony, or was this a guest conductor? It was a, it was a guest conductor. It was a guest conductor, and
1: uh, so and he had never been with the symphony before, <laughs> and. So, uh, this was his first experience, and this was the first performance of the series of bronze recording performances. So, this was his first time
0: taking a stage in front of an audience with the orchestra. Oh, man. And, uh, I think it was very, uh, like, uh, an out of body experience. I'm it sure, an out of mind experience. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, um. So. And, and, yeah, please, please, you yes, uh, ask.
0: lead me. <laughs> so. Um, so the experience slowly dawned on you that it wasn't, uh, it it wasn't, was it like five to 10 seconds that you were like, oh shit, this is, or was it more like two or three seconds? You're like, wow, okay, this is happening right now.
1: Uh, you know, it was probably closer to five to 10 seconds because it, it, it took, uh, it took about that long for other people to join the first, the first person singing. And it wasn't until there were a number of voices. That you realized you were dealing with
0: a thing. I see, and you know, they they unfurled a, a banner from the from the balcony as well. Is that correct? They did probably about 15, 20 seconds into the
1: singing of the spiritual. They um, they unfurled three banners in three different places from the balcony, um, and then of course when the banners came down, you immediately knew what you were dealing with because right. they it, they said requiem for Mike Brown, and they had. A painting of his face and his his ears, and you you realized immediately that you were dealing with a with a sort of a, a protest. Although it didn't feel at all like a, like a, to call it a protest is is a little strange. I mean, it was more um uh like a like a, a, a requiem for Mike Brown I mean, really, it felt like an elegy. Yeah, you know they were more, I guess, protest-like at the end when they, when they finished their spiritual and then they all turned to leave. And at that point, our house staff was there kind of guiding them out, but they that was obviously their plan all along, to sing their song and then go. Right. Uh, so they, they all turned to leave and then they started chanting Black Lives Matter as they left. And that started to feel more more like a protest, but it was just all in part of their, their message of, of the evening, which I think was basically to say you know, don't don't forget about us. We don't live in your neighborhood, um, but uh, but but this you know this thing that has come to the forefront with Mike Brown is something that happens a lot more than you might you might think it is in your you
0: know maybe uh, more sheltered life. What um, you know what was the mood of the orchestra? Uh, did did so did did they file out and then the conductor turn around and you? St- start again or, or start for the yeah, first time?
1: well, we had to wait a, a good solid two minutes after they actually left the auditorium because they were up in the balconies and so they had to file all the way down the stairs outside mm-hmm. the auditorium. Mm-hmm. You could hear them the entire time as they got out into the lobby and they continued to chant all the way out onto the street. So not until they got out of the building uh, was it quiet enough that we could actually start. Then the conductor just stood again facing the orchestra with his head down waited for all of the, all of the noise
0: to exhaust itself, and, um, and then just took a breath, looked at the orchestra, and gave it to me, and we just played. Did you, were you distracted during the performance, or did you, uh, did well, you,
1: Already tuned, the audience had quieted down. The conductor had come out. All the applause had subsided. We were we were in our headspace, right? And then we were taken out of it for a few minutes, and we had to get that back again. And I think we got it back as we were playing. So it took some time, and for the chorus too. We have a chorus, it's a right. whole volunteer chorus. Uh, they're not they're not daily performers like we are. Uh, so for them, this was. A you know a much more special experience to be standing up on stage behind the orchestra and getting ready to sing and all of a sudden they're they're taken out of
0: that right
1: and I, I would say I would say that's probably the only the only part of it that I that I regret is that um, that we we did have to we were in a we were in a space we were getting ready to do something and we were interrupted of our, in our process right um, but I. At, you know, when I when I step back and think about it, I I think with the whole the whole reason for what they did that evening was to kind of displace everybody, make everybody slightly uncomfortable, and to think about something else for a second, and to think about actually what we were about to do in performing the requiem uh, as as something that is very uh, appropriate. In our lives at this moment, it's not just something that was written by Brahms 150 years ago, right? But uh, but it's something that's relevant to us all today for this reason. And they showed us very clearly the reason that it's relevant
0: to all of us today. That's uh, uh that's all. That's an interesting uh, outlook on it. Let me. You you said before that it's not in your neighborhood. How far? How far is Symphony Hall from Ferguson? Symphony Hall is like straight downtown in 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 St. Louis, right? Well, I, I mean, Symphony Hall is um,
1: probably a good twelve to fifteen miles from the town of Ferguson, but Symphony Hall is it is the last bastion of uh, the sort of cultural institutions in St. Louis. Physically, geographically, the last the last cultural building. Or you cross the street and go into North St. Louis, which is um, a, a much uh, poorer section of section of town with, uh, with say, um, you know, a lot less privileged, Certainly, to put it that way.
0: Right. Um, so, Symphony does, Hall it, kind of marks the tracks a little bit. It,
1: it, it does, and the other side of the tracks are right there. It's right. still St. Louis, so we we're not Ferguson. I mean, they were. They were ten or twelve miles away from you know the the whole Michael Brown uh, area, but it's very what happened there between the police and, and Michael Brown and the community and the government of the community um, is uh, something that probably is is going on in North St. Louis quite quite a bit as right. as, as well right. as it, as it goes on in Ferguson. So it, it was it's close geographically to where we were, but. You know our clientele and the and the people sitting on the stage. We we don't we don't live or come from St. Louis. A lot farther than twelve miles away. uh, uh, Right, right, and and it's not so much about geography as it is, um, you know, emotional and um, and uh, financial. Yeah, Um, you know, it's we're we're very far away. Right from from all that the, you know, the the Michael Brown community, the Ferguson community, um, and the North St. Louis community um, are. um, So I thought it was was actually kind of an interesting coming together um, in that these group of uh, quote unquote protesters, they were incredibly thoughtful, I think, in how they were going to go about doing this. They wanted to get their statement across. They wanted to get it across to our particular audience and we were uh, Saturday night broadcast is our,
0: uh, or Saturday night concert is our radio broadcast. Uh, is that a live, and, is that a live and, broadcast? Uh, right. So, so it goes out to just a lot of
1: people and I, they, they wanted to be able to reach these people guys. Sorry. Uh, they wanted to be able to reach these people. Um, and, uh, they, they did it by thinking about what we were performing and trying to come up with uh, something, an experience that was going to be relevant right. to actually what we were doing in the hall that night. They to... called it themselves a Requiem for Mike Brown. They dropped confetti from the balcony down to the audience below right. that, that, uh, that said Requiem for Mike Brown on it and had his, you know, uh, his, his years on there. And uh, they, they, they really thought about what they were doing. They sang the spiritual... Um, you know, which side are you on, which, um, you know, people have debated back and forth here about the political statement of that, right. but, uh, but it's a spiritual really and it's a civil rights song and, um, and they were trying to, I think, make what we were doing relevant to them and their community.
0: Right. To well, meet you guys where you are in, in yeah. a way. Yeah. All right, Scott, I I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're having a super busy day, as always, with the kids and the job and all that stuff. So thanks for calling in and uh, really appreciate it. All right, man.
2: All right, so um, obviously, uh, Chris, you partook in that interview earlier. That was my first time uh, hearing it. Uh, And some of of the things that really stuck out to me that I want to talk to you about, um, first, he mentioned the... uh, will of the protesters possibly being to introduce a feeling of discomfort in an otherwise uh very comfortable environment um and then to second uh to go hand in hand with that this idea of the the bastion of culture the last bastion of culture you know between the privileged section and the section that doesn't have that privilege and so A a lot of people, and I I do encourage anybody who has not seen uh, the video of this protest to check it out. Um, It it is online. Uh, I'm looking at the Washington Post right now, and they have the video up there. It is interesting to look at the wide range of reactions from not only the audience, but the the people on stage. A number of the musicians applauded. Uh, A number of the people in the audience applauded. One... I guess we should say unlucky, although, you know, karma is what it is, Uh, (laughs) Fellow and his very elegantly dressed missus uh, were not too pleased. But they were the only ones, and they were unfortunately front and center uh, in their disgust on the video. But it is is interesting uh, how often we expect these artistic places to be comfortable to us. When most of the great art that's ever been created is designed to make people uncomfortable.
0: Well, that's a lot in one question and statement to get into. It's more of a statement <laughs> than a question. <laughs> well, you know, it, the, again, it, it goes into what we talked about a little bit last time in terms of um, as as entities, whether they're orchestras or sports teams or universities or whatever, gain their own sort of culture it becomes more and more entrenched, sort of, uh, the further that you go. And certainly, going to an orchestra concert is one of the most codified experiences that you're going to have. You know that the curtain's going to come up roughly on time. Orchestra concerts aren't going to be like where, you know, like Rihanna shows up three hours late for a gig. You know, if the orchestra starts at eight fifteen, some old people might start a riot. <laughs> So you know, you know, it's going to start between eight and eight o five. You're going to have an intermission. You're going to clap at the end of pieces, and that's it. Um, and you're going to leave feeling culturally. Yeah, I mean, superior. it's a little bit like you know, if you went if you went to the movies and something happened outside of the scope of just like you know, showing up, buying some popcorn, watching a movie, and getting out especially in the current of, like, you know, violence in, in movie theaters, would freak you out. Mm-hmm. I remember, just a sidebar, I, I saw um, Fight Club in the theater when it was out, and I had no idea what it was. I just went because it seemed like an interesting movie to go with my girlfriend. And it was in Boston, and... First of all, that movie was mind fuck, and I was yeah. totally into it. I loved it, but about... Five to ten minutes before the end of the movie, like, I would say ten to fifteen kids in hoodies came into the theater and just sort of stood along the sides of the theater. And it was like, I started to plot my my exit, you know, I started to figure, like, I started to, like, figure out how I'm going to get out of the situation. I have no idea what that was. Nothing happened. But, you know... So, I imagine that that's a similar, you know, there there, there was a, 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 we won't say, non-violent protest surrounding, in Ferguson, what was happening with Mike Brown. So, I'm sure that some of the people might have felt something was going to happen, although, from what Scott said in that, clearly, uh, not really so much. I think I was unfortunate he got called calling it calling them thugs and that just uh you know that is it's just another way of calling someone the n-word these days to be honest i'm just gonna like and what uh when you're talking him calling thugs what are you i think he was
2: are we still in ferguson yeah no no
0: this is in the in the hall when you said that the guy oh yeah that guy, guy yes
2: yes yes he either I, said
0: would, he was a thug, or he called yes. the protesters thugs, or one of the. He, one he of had the said things. Mike
2: Brown was a thug, and you're, you're right. I, for some reason, I had us back uh, on the yeah, timeline yeah, yeah, yeah. at the actual shooting, not yeah, yeah, at yeah, Symphony yeah. Hall. I just, okay,
0: you're um, yeah. First of all, it, it, we, we, and we go back to what we talked about a little bit last week, and that this book I'm obsessed with, called the The War of Art, and um, it talks about to be an artist is a little bit of a scary experience because humans are... We we, we survived by being social creatures. We can't... One-on-one with nature, we're, we're screwed. We only survive because we are a social beast. So there is a real premium on fitting into the social group and, and, and going along with the flow and being a good, a good team player. And to be an artist, you automatically... Already put your yourself outside of that. You say, "I do have something different to say." So I think if you're if you're an artist and something different happens, whether you're pro or con, what's happening, you kind of have to be pro that it is happening. I think.
2: I'm going to uh, interject here because that actually leads really nicely into this quote from uh, Howard Zinn, who's a historian. For those who don't know his work, and uh, he gives this speech called "Artists in a Time of War." Have you read The People's History of the United yes. States? Yes, and it's one of my favorites. It's um, awesome.
0: It made me fall asleep a little bit. But... Uh, it's tough.
2: It's, <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> it's a hard it was slog a, through. It that. wasn't a linear read, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so he says. Uh, you hear the word professionalism being used often. People say you have to be professional. Whenever I hear the word, I get a little scared because that limits human beings to working within the confines set by their profession. And so if your profession is as a uh, guardian of culture um, or as an artist, all of a sudden these expectations like that you're saying, they're, they're huge.
0: Well... One, another thing to consider in terms of the, the actual surroundings in which this quote-unquote protest took place, there are fewer musicians that are glued to their routine than orchestral musicians because the union rules state, Rehearsals start at this time and they end at this time. You get a break at this time that lasts this long. The stage is always at 72 degrees. If you go over, you get overtime in 15-minute increments. And all of that stuff is so carefully negotiated. And they show up. If they have to go to a concert that's not in St. Louis, they show up and they all get on a bus. And they all go. And they get fed. And, they, you know, it's basically if, if somebody has a feather out of place, it's they, they, they freak out. But... So I think I, I think that that to to jostle something that is so clearly beyond expe- expected in terms of the what's going to happen next is mind blowing. It's if you go into the same church forever and something happened, like even if they. Even if they change the order of when you sing the hymns, everybody goes, "Oh my God!" You <laughs> We're know doing communion I mean? at the beginning today. Oh, <laughs> you know. Meanwhile, some people who are you know more or less uninvited, you know, who are not your usual crowd, show up and 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 make something happen. I wish I would have been there. For me, it, it seems like that's what art is. That's what uh, you know, art. <laughs>
2: It's so, that it sounds like hello, Andrew. Uh, it sounds like uh, that they handled it well, though. Uh, the I mean, and the as I said, the video shows a number of the symphony members, you know, clapping. And I, it's a good point about the the choral, chorus members um, that you know this is something that they're not used to, yeah. and that you know they maybe weren't as sure how to handle they're so the They're much more
0: likely to have yeah. brought like family, you know, or yeah. friends to come see them because maybe they sing with the orchestra once or twice a year, tops. So I'm sure for them it was, you know, look, again, art sometimes kicks you in the ass. And if it doesn't, then I don't really know that it's art Yeah. in a way. It's, it's a little bit why they, why, you know, fascist and communist dictators go after the intelligentsia and the artists very early. Um, they either start churning out propaganda for this. Right. They either become useful for the man or they are useless to the man because it, it goes back to this, to, to what we talked about before, which was, um, you set yourself outside of the stream and, you know, all they want is a passive stream. So artists and intellectuals are always a problem for someone who just wants to have an easy go of it.
2: Absolutely. Um, I'll read one more uh, quote from the speech, and I, I, again, think it's just worth going on the record with. But he says, uh, so this was written after September 11th. Said, there are certain historical moments when learning is more compressed and intense than others. Since September 11th, 2001, we've been in such a moment. So the word transcendent comes to mind when I think of the role of the artist in dealing with the issues of the day. I use that word to suggest that the role of the artist is to transcend conventional wisdom, to transcend the word of the establishment, to transcend the orthodoxy, to go beyond and escape what is handed down by the government or what is said in the media. And I I think this was just, uh, it was very, very cool for me. And and it was also cool uh, to see how well it was received uh, not only by the people on stage, but also by everyone in the audience except for that, like, one guy. I mean, it was, because that, that was not what I would necessarily have expected, having sat in a few uh, concert halls, and, you know, people freak out when something as small and unassuming as, you know, a, a vibrating cell phone goes right. off, will freak out, this clear disruption, and, and there was some humanity there that I think was really, really beautiful. Um,
0: I think that, like, the people who definitely live in the town of St. Louis and the surrounding areas are going through it right now and are having to figure out a lot of stuff. I, 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 as an aside for me, I grew up in the South. Uh, I went to school in the Midwest. I taught school in the South. I've lived in the South and Midwest all of my life, and I've never been anywhere as racist as Missouri. Missouri is crazy. It really, like, freaked me out in a big way. And, and so um, nothing surprises me that comes out of there right now.
2: You'll be able to, to give a little perspective on this uh, deeper than maybe what Scott was able to get into um, since he was busy. But uh, he, he brought up the, the idea of distance from whatever's going on uh, and distance from the people in the community that you are... Playing for, writing for, performing, whatever. Um, I I think it can go relatively. It, it can be stated pretty straightforward that, at least in in the classical music world that that we sp- speak of and are a part of, that there is a great distance oftentimes between the people that are creating and performing and the you know the rest of society. So. What are your thoughts on, on how we start bridging that gap?
0: Huh. All right. Well, that's a big question again. I, I, you know, again, classical musicians are used to showing up on a stage and then leaving and, and you never meet the audience. You know, maybe you have like an instrument petting zoo where some kids come and you fucking let let them touch your clarinet for five seconds. Not, not your clarinet. No. It's uh it's me. A, it's a, right. a, a clarinet yeah. yeah. that yeah. you got the from the your third somewhere. three three clarinets oh, yeah. ago that you saved and is in the attic. Uh you know the whole separation from of the artist from the public is something that OpenG is set against, is 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 was founded to oppose. Um and I think that um, I think that in order to remain relevant, orchestras and classical musicians and, and artists are going to have to embrace and figure out social media. And it's hard because it's fluid, because Facebook will be gone soon, I know it's for old people, and then Twitter will be gone, and, you know, uh, it's just like, who, who even knows where conversation will be flowing or or how what it will be flowing through at that point but uh, you know the die is cast you're not going back to a 19th century concert hall anymore um there's been an article that's making the rounds on the internet uh, uh referencing johnny greenwood having a an uncomfortable experience at the symphony and giving 10 things that you could do to to improve. And I agree with all of them. You should be it should be a social event to go to a concert. You should get fucked up beforehand. You should pregame like you would for a regular concert. If you're man, you know, I don't want to sit through 2 hours of classical music straight. That's fuck that, man. Yeah. I, I look, maybe that that makes me somebody who doesn't have enough attention span or something, but I like music with a little buzz, you know, and that, that includes classical music. And sometimes you've got a good feeling and you're like, all right, that's really amazing. Rather than when are we going to get home? Yeah. You know, when is, oh my God, this movement, Jesus, how long is this? It's difficult. It's easier to get lost in something when you're, um, when your guard is down a little bit, when, you're, when your inhibitions are a little loosened, then you can just, like, be. And um, so that's a long-winded way of getting back to we need to be in the spaces with people who come to the concerts with us, and we need to be available on Twitter, and we need to be available before, after the show, during intermission or something. You know, it's just like... Um, the separation between the musician and the people who go here are concerts. in a time when you can tweet at at Kanye West and and he may answer, you know the 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 the, the distance between fan and and the creator of the art is inches and there's Not a even a
2: lot of opportunity I think there to and especially with the the social movements and stuff uh, to to bridge that gap also where we're, we're going to uh, since you brought up that. That article. We'll call this our our segue out of the uh, Ferguson talk. We are going to chop up that interview with Scott Andrews uh, and put that online separately from this podcast. It'll still be in this podcast, um, but for those who are interested in maybe sharing some of Scott's firsthand account um, with people without uh, Chris and myself uh, running our mouths all around it, we will provide that uh separate also. But let, let's talk about this article a little bit. So I'm going to uh we'll go point for point. Um first one's pretty obvious uh ch- uh by the way, we're reading an article 10 things that we should change in classical music uh concerts. Um the first one being the audience should feel free to applaud between movements. Hell yeah. Kind of no brainer.
0: Hell yeah. I mean they used to back in the day during Mozart's time you would applaud during They would make you repeat a movement. They would make you repeat a cadenza, you know? It's like it was like going to a concert. Yeah,
2: hell yeah. And that would be interesting for performers and people because it's like, what? oh, we got to do it it even better this time. Yeah. I mean, you just busted out like a (laughs) four-minute
0: really fast last movement and everybody's like, fuck yeah, do it again, faster. Do it. That'd be fun, man. Let's go. I will
2: say, hands down, and I mean, I've been on stages in a a variety of manners, and easily one of my favorites ever was the first concert uh, that I did uh, at ECU with their symphony, and we did Chike 4, and we got to the end of it, and the crowd wouldn't sit down. And I, like, so George, our conductor, turns around, he goes, you know, fourth movement again so we we ran it back for an encore and this is my you know first collegiate uh symphony experience and i'm just like we've just played this super intense piece and it was awesome and we're just like sweating everywhere and and it's like wait an encore i was like i thought this only happened like like, i was it was it was really and it feels
0: like something's happening because a that's out of the ordinary can I say I fucking hate Chike Four? But oh, that's cool. It's just no. the worst. I am just not. I'm not a fan. But it's okay. It's got a special place in my heart. Too, too much trumpet. All right. Um, Okay, let's go on. Let's keep number two. <laughs> Orchestra
2: should tune backstage. I don't, don't give a shit about that part. I don't care about that. Really? I mean, it, it. All right. All right. We'll move on. I think for
0: chamber for chamber concerts, we tend to do that. Like I tend to tune backstage and come out and give a show. Yeah. But I kind of feel like part of the show. See, here's the problem: is that you know, then it doesn't give the concert master the moment in the sun that he wants, True. and he gets paid a lot of money. Like the guy who, who that's always the highest, always the highest paid member of the orchestra.
1: Yeah,
0: guy in New York, Phil makes like four hundred grand. It's like an incredible amount. Even guy in North Carolina, I, I don't want to speculate in North Carolina, but it's way, it's well over hundred for sure. Yeah, so that guy wants to come out and have a bow. Well, and it, it's such and a... And he marks... A, it's a very important role. He marks up everybody's part. Everybody's watching him all the time. It's...
2: I, I, I hadn't thought about that aspect, but yeah, yeah that that's important. And, you know, it, it's... What else are we going to have when we log on to our PlayStation if we don't have the orchestra tuning sound? Uh, number three, we should be able to use mobile phones in silent mode.
0: Yeah, it's a little iffy on this, but I'm pro it in general. Um... It just is like when it's dark, you know, it's like it can be distracting. So I would say if you also decided to to, to change the lighting in the hall, you could probably do that. It'd be sweet. Would,
2: mean, would some of that uh, burden of distraction not fall on the performers to, you know, just not get distracted? Uh,
0: is, that, is it fair uh, to
2: meet half-wet now?
0: Yeah, I see your point, but, you know, people are going to text. I, you know, I... I text in the middle of super interesting shit. You know, I, I could I could probably text in the middle of an orgasm if I had to. So, you know, it's like um, you, your your wife would would appreciate that, I'm I'm sure. That's what, uh, <laughs> You know, she she knows I'm full of shit. But... Okay. Let's go on.
2: Um I I will say one more thing about the the phones though. Even in uh rock concerts now that's become an issue. So I mean it's there, There yeah, is a middle the problem, ground there I, you know, between...
0: There is a whole subset of people who basically watch the concerts yep. through their phones, and that just is... Silly.
2: I just read yesterday where there's some company that's trying to make deals with all these venues where it, they have their technology and you walk in the door and your phone shuts down. You can't use, like, it won't work until you leave. I like it. Like, it. you know,
0: if you're going to make it go that way, then just go completely
2: will, that way. It will be interesting to see how that works out. Number four, programs should be less predictable. Yes. Meaning Meaning, uh, don't list everything on, on the program. Have a few surprises. In yes. We kind of hinted on that a little earlier with the encore bit, but...
0: Yes, I mean, this is how I give solo shows now. I, I, I don't use programs for myself. I, I come out, or I, I'll say, tonight's program will start with, and everything else will be announced from the stage, including the break. Okay. I, I It just is...
2: You think it's helpful to... And then I
0: give them programs afterwards. If they okay. wanted to see like what the opus numbers were and when oh, stuff yeah. was written and have that and look at it and sort of think about it, great. You can have it at the end. But during the program itself... Just pay attention to the music. I'll tell you what it is. I'll give you like you know. It does it does put a little onus on the performer to not go up there and be a a, a, a lame ass. Yeah. But. Um, you mean
2: if, in terms of interacting with? Yeah, the audience.
0: you got to be able to like have a personality and you know not only you know people don't want to just know about the music. They want to know why it's important to you. Why do you? Why are you playing this piece? Why do? Why did you bring it with you? Because it's fucking awesome. That's why. Um, you got to be able to do that, but yeah, I'm with that. Less predictable.
2: Cool. It, is there just a, a question, is there a reason that you go with, this is the first piece I'm playing, rather than announcing, you know, one, you know, something to rope someone in, like the most well-known piece that you'll be playing, something like that. Is it just a, do you put the most well, well-known a standard, one first?
0: Yeah, I have a standard opener right now, which is New York Counterpoint, which uh, is a piece for, that Steve Reich wrote for 10 pre recorded tracks of clarinet and one live soloist. And I re- recorded all 10 tracks myself and then do it live. So it's like, you know, uh, uh, particularly now that I'm going back and re engaging f- since I moved to New York, using New York Counterpoint as an opener is like, it's an awesome piece. It's a no brainer. It's just a nice way to start. So it, for me, okay. it's the same. It's the same piece for the next couple of years, and then I'll rethink it.
2: All right, makes sense. Number five, this one's a no-brainer. You should be able to take your drinks inside the hall. Yes, absolutely. Moving on, number six, the artist. Yes, <laughs> the artist should engage with the audience. Just touched on that. Yes. Resuming. Number seven, orchestras shouldn't play in tail suits. Now Agreed. you are you are a, a bit of a suit aficionado, so you'll definitely be able to speak to some alternatives.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that people should dress. Um, I, if you're a soloist, I think all rules are off. I think, you know, women can wear crazy, beautiful dresses. Guys should be able to wear slacks and a button down shirt if they're comfortable, as long as it looks cool. make it look cool. But, um, I think that orchestras should perform in suits at best. Uh, I think tuxedos make no sense. Tuxedos are from another century and are not actually fancy. Um, tuxedos are—it's it, tuxedos are, are are for people who think that they're fancy. Uh, it's like uh, I heard Newt Gingrich described one time as how stupid people think smart people sound. So, so you know, it's Newt like Gingrich is the tux. Of. <laughs> yeah, so the tuxedo is like what what. On you know what non-sophisticated people think is fancy, but tuxedos are not fancy. You can get one for twenty bucks. You can rent them. You can't. You you really can't usually rent fancy things.
2: I I, I don't know what my uh, my uh, clip-on bow tie is super classy. <laughs> well, I got you know to teach you how to like tie a real bow tie. Then we'll, then we're in it. Then we'll be in business. Then I can be uh what's that guy from Crossfire? Never mind. It's irrelevant. Number eight
1: concerts Tucker, Tucker Carlson Tucker
2: Carlson that, ugh, that guy fuck that guy <laughs> concerts should be more family friendly now this one's interesting because we're talking on the one hand about trying to make things a bit edgier but this is talking about family friendly so this almost seems like a natural divide where we could split the two up what are your, your thoughts on this
0: I don't give a shit about the families coming to concerts right. I don't know why I just am like let those little shits go to the nutcracker
2: <laughs> you don't think Saul's gonna enjoy sitting through uh... yeah but I mean you
0: know look it's like because um, I'd be I impressed
2: like... at his age to
0: sit quietly through he can't he's, <laughs> he's not two yet he can't do that <laughs> but you know it's like he, uh, going to an orchestra or classical music performance is a little bit should be like rated R it's adult it's like it's not you know it takes a little bit of a attention span uh, I just like I have kid, I have a kid. Obviously, I love him to death, but I don't really care to be at events that children are prevalent. I just would rather be out with adults.
2: Understandable. Uh, number nine: concert halls should use more cutting-edge technology. Yes. Yeah. How so? What do you? What you? I don't problem? know. What are you thinking?
0: No. I don't know, but light lighting is one idea from 1955 that we could like get with. It's uh, you know, if you could figure out a I've way to light concerts. That make them more interesting.
2: What about uh, the the article specifically mentions like video screens? Would you think that's a, a little bit uh, I don't I think that's sacrilegious a, or a good idea. I or think
0: both? you know it's like you go to a concert with Radiohead or back and there's there's always now at least one large video screen that shows often finger work or you know an interesting camera angle of. That, that would certainly be a cool, cool, interesting concept for an orchestra to do, you know? It's just like... When you watch a, a, a live concert on TV and there's a clarinet solo, you get to see what the clarinet player looks like, and it's kind of interesting... If you give a shit to watch their hands or whatever, and to do that live is a, seems like a no brainer.
2: Now the flip side of that is then you would have cameras on stage and camera men maneuvering around, and and I think don't... you
0: could find a way to do that with close ups. It's like you know, it's you don't need to have guys in there. You could figure out like a four or five camera shoot, or even a three camera shoot if you did it right.
2: We uh we, we certainly have enough people that are technologically Or uh, you know, mount mount a camera. Out.
0: Have a have a you know, an R C camera that is just like unobtrusive. They don't even unobtrusive, they don't even notice that it's there. You could do it without having somebody on stage with them it,
2: what about uh, what about the ESPN Sky Cam? You think that's a probably, <laughs> probably swooping through ideas. the woodwind <laughs> section during the
0: majestic runs of? The Pray Mobile. to God it doesn't hit. Any yeah, time.
2: right. <laughs> Number ten. Every program should contain a contemporary piece. I know you answered on this one. Fine. Yep.
0: Good. You know, just as long as it. You know, I think programs sh- sh- should be well thought out. It shouldn't be just a collection of like three or four pieces. It should be like, okay, so we're going to pair. We're going to put these pieces together because of this reason. That way you see, just like you would see in an art museum, if if you walk through the Met Museum and you you could walk through the Renaissance and then into the, you know, Impressionism and then then into the 20th century and it all becomes sort of this continuum. And right now it feels like, oh, here's the good stuff and here we're going to plug in this unrelated thing, gnarly shit that was written in 2008. But it takes, it takes um, investment on the music director's side to educate the audience, to explain, to talk, and say, this is why we're we're doing this. You know. Uh, but yes, there should be as much new stuff as possible because who gives a shit about something that was written 200 years ago?
2: Well, and you think about the the common themes of humanity's history. I mean it that you can find common themes today that were still relevant way back whenever. I mean, it, it it seems to lend itself towards that. Um, Okay. Well, cool. So we, we made it through that list. There was one more, uh, one more list that, that caught our eye this week. And, uh, it came from the bastion of culture, since we're on the subject of NPR. Uh, and it was the NPR classical 50 and it was dubbed as, uh, 50, uh recordings that every classical music fan should have in their collection and we're not going to go through all of it um but i know you you took some notes i showed it to you and you uh you have you have some thoughts so the floor is yours yeah
0: you know um i thought it was a pretty good list actually the the npr classical 50 um i do have a problem because i want to be more snooty than the list is it's hard it it makes me feel bad that i want to be more snooty than npr but it's some of the pieces that are on it i don't really get i can't really consider carmina Barana one of the top 50 pieces of classical music it just it's just not that it's cool super awesome great uh, it reminds me of uh remember the show fraiser uh, he had a conversation with his brother Niles one time where one of them said do you remember when we used to believe that the 1812 Overture was a great piece of classical music? And the other one goes, were we ever that young? <laughs> and it's just like, you know it's, it's like, so there are a couple of them on the list that I feel are the same. The Holst Planets awesome not one of the 50 top pieces of classical music. Verdi Requiem, also awesome not one of the 50s pieces and I have to take off the Elgar Cello Concerto because I don't like it <laughs> <laughs> I got yelled at on, on Facebook because I posted I think last year something like English art is almost always disappointing and I got completely like rammed up my ass by some of my English friends but I just I feel that way Sibelius 5 can go fuck itself list piano sonata doesn't need to stay on there I have I have I have two suggestions that I want to put on there As Oh, say, add, I'm
2: interested to hear uh, what well I want to add that one thing
0: they had Appalachian Spring hey thanks Um,
2: Appalachian Spring
0: Yeah As it exists in its orchestration I do not like it But its original orchestration Was for 13 instruments Okay. It's like Four Well anyway It's basically String, octet, sort of One clarinet, one uh, bass One clarinet One flute, one bassoon And I think piano it's amazing. Okay. The most amazing, amazing thing. Uh, and then you put it into the orchestra version and it's this lumbering, huge dinosaur of a piece. You just wouldn't... You gotta go listen to the 13-instrument version because it's so mind-blowingly clear and crystal and beautiful. And then it, it, listen to the orchestra version directly afterwards and you'll want to vomit. It's just like... it's. It just is not my thing. So I would replace that on their list, the orchestra version with the 13-instrument version. I would replace Beethoven 5 with Beethoven 7, because what the fuck are you thinking? <laughs> I would also add a Mozart piano concerto, probably 24 in C minor, because that's just my favorite. And I would also add... It's also very light, very light on new stuff. And I definitely want to add the Barrios Sinfonio, which is better than shit. Uh, and probably like First Corelliano Symphony... Uh, Joan Tower, Sequoia, um, and something that Stucky wrote as well. Um, in general, it's a good list.
2: All right. So, um, we actually, for those who aren't, aren't aware, we have a, we have a Spotify account here at OpenG and we have a a playlist that Chris curates. So, Uh, Is it fair to say that we can maybe put some of these recordings that you're mentioning up on that playlist for those? Some of those
0: recordings are already up on that on on the the playlist. So if you go to Spotify and search for OpenG Records, also the playlist is just called Great Movements, Great Players. Uh, That will also get it to you. Um, I was happy that Prokofiev Romeo and Juliet made the made their list because it's number one for me. Uh, Not. Uh, not the greatest piece of classical music, but the most awesome piece of classical music for me is the Prokofiev *Romeo and Juliet*.
2: And we actually, uh, if you dig down in our blog, uh, I think uh, going on a month ago, we uh, we posted a link to the playlist. So you, Spotify, can be difficult to dig through. So that that's an easy way to to just find it and follow it and check it out. Um, we're out of time for this week. Uh, we hope you guys. Uh, Enjoyed it. Uh, As I said, we're going to put the interview with Scott up separate from this. It'll also be in this podcast. Um, Thanks for tuning in online um, on Twitter. We didn't have any questions this week, but we will in the future uh, integrate that in. So if you got a question or something you'd like to contribute to the conversation, uh, that actually is a question and not some of the stuff we've been getting uh, (laughs) at OpenG
0: Records. Also, hit us up on Facebook, OpenG Records, and of course, look us up, OpenGRecords.com, where you'll find the blog and every other podcast, including uh, ones with actual guests. And uh, that's about it.
1: Yeah,
2: so we'll uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks.